Welcome back to Fears of a No-Name Blank. My name is Virginia. I'm an actor based in Atlanta, Georgia. In this bi-weekly podcast, I sit down with undiscovered actors, film and television industry folks, and other creatives to chat about their fears in business and life in general. The goal is not to solve the fears or try to motivate away from them, but just bring these fears to light. After all, we're all human. I have gone back and listened to this conversation with Sherry Peterson multiple times just to pick out the diamonds she leaves behind. Seriously, actors especially, you're going to get so much out of this conversation. Sherry just opens up and can't help but inspire. All right. Welcome back to Fears of a No Name Blank. Today, I have my good friend, Sherry Peterson. Um, She is an actress and a teacher extraordinaire. Sherry, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, you already made it sound better than what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Let's see. Well, okay. I mean, I got into the business um, when I was a teenager, actually, for... um, I just for history's sake, uh, you know, this is my, my backstory, I guess you'd say. Um, and I like to, I like to point to the time where I got exposed to storytelling as my alarm clock moment. And that was through, um, an English teacher that invited me to audition for a play. And I did, and, uh, was cast as Essie Carmichael and you can't take it with you. Nice. Uh, which if, for those of you who know the play, you'll, you know who Essie, she's a crazy ballerina that, you know, tromps around stage in a pair of toe shoes. uh, P.S. She does not actually dance. (laughs) She thinks she can dance. And so she's always throwing her leg up over chairs and sofas and in people's lap. And she'll like do, you know, a stretch. And I mean, it's it's all, you know, physical comedy. It sounds so so um, much fun. Oh, so much fun. And I had never done anything like that ever in my life. But the great thing that happens when people are first exposed to storytelling is that they're not in their head because they don't know what the reaction is going to be of people who see them. So once I got a taste of that, you know, the first, the first audience had just, you know, broke out in outrageous laughter. It was like my first hit of crack. Now I've (laughs) never had crack, but I can imagine that that's what it would have been like. I know exactly what you mean. um, I was hooked and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so fun. I have the ability to, make people laugh. I can, I can influence people. I can reach people. I can affect people. And so that was my alarm clock moment. And I realized, oh, wow, this, I need to do this more. I need more of this in my life. So I began pursuing theater and went to um, a performing arts high school after that, and then studied theater in college and, um, you know, got that ball rolling and and just never looked back. So I started doing regional theater um, work and um, found myself even working on a cruise ship as an entertainer at some point. Um, And then slowly but surely made my way into TV and film because that's just the natural progression of things. And when you realize, man, theater does not pay at all. It's amazing that it gives you zero peanuts. Right. But it is so, I just feel so grateful that I had that experience, you know, to, to 
be kind of raised as an artist in the theater and mm-hmm. had that classical training. And, um, and I just always, I feel that that was my first love, you know, yeah. and I, I go back to that time and really still love theater and, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a director as well. And so whenever I'm given a chance, I'm always um, wanting to direct for the theater. Um, I love directing straight plays and musicals. So um, that's a, that's definitely one of my passions, but um, so that's kind of how I ended up uh to where I am today. I, I, uh, I do teach and, um, I went back in my forties. I know, um, that's not very common, but after having been an actress for many years in theater and TV and film, I decided that I wanted to do something more and went back to get my master's of fine arts in acting when I was in my forties and, um, and then, uh, started working as professor of theater and, um, and also teach at, um, the Southeast's largest, um, acting school, which is Drama Inc. And, and also coach online. Um, you know, at this point we're looking at this whole life according to zoom and, um, and I'm doing a lot of that coaching, um, through, um, the web. <laughs> and so I, I love coaching one-on-one and, and, uh, enjoy that even if it has to be over, over the internet. Absolutely. Um, so what, so that's kind of me. That, yes, I love that. Um, that you went back to school in your forties, like you said, um, you said you wanted to do something more. Did you feel like your career had stagnated or you were like, I want to give more? Like what, what were you feeling at that time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I will say that um, I did for a while. When after I moved to Atlanta, I had started working. I started my own little production company and started working on developing new content. And um, I was pitching and kind of working as a producer um, for a, here and there. And um, I I had lots of really amazing opportunities. You know, I pitched to um, 20th Century Fox in LA and A&E up in New York and I worked a little bit with Turner pitching to them and, and did a little writing for Turner. And, um, and so um, what I realized about producing and I, I do feel like that's still, I feel like it is in my skill set because I feel like I, I do um, have the ability to kind of see the big picture and, um, but the thing that I learned about producing is um, it's all about the bottom line. And as an artist, that was really hard for me uh-huh. because my heart is more for the artist instead of the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you know producers do what they have to do because they have to do it. But I didn't feel like after spending quite a bit of time trying to to, to produce things, um, that it was as rewarding mm-hmm. as what I really loved, which was working one-on-one with mm-hmm. artists. And so that was a big, uh, factor in why I wanted to go back to school because I knew that like, uh, as an artist and when I'm not able to be the one acting the story and te- do, doing the storytelling, the next best thing for me was to be able to train other actors and work with other actors and coach them and help them become better storytellers. And so, um, that's, 
the passion that kind of drove me to wanting to work with people. And, um, and that's one of the reasons why I love directing too, because it's kind of, it, it feels like it's producing and um, working with artists together. So um, I do, I, it's probably one of the things that I enjoy most about, about what I do is, is the directing part of things. That's, yeah, that's cool. Um, so tell me more about your thoughts around acting as a storytelling platform. Um, because I feel like there's some thought that acting is just putting the words out that somebody else is storytelling. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the writer is yeah. telling the story and you're just kind of being the voice of it. So yeah. uh, tell me more about acting. Yeah. And storytelling. Um, so I feel like, um, Oh, wow. We are all just so many parts of a greater whole. But I do feel like a writer is the one that gives birth to a story and gives birth to characters. But as an actor, I'm the one who gets to breathe life into it. And so that's um, that's so awesome to me to have. And it's also very... Um, it's a lot of responsibility, mm -hmm. you know, and it's uh, a lot of responsibility to, to bring life into something. And so um, I, I find that the process of storytelling as an actor, it, well, I, this is something that I like to, to tell my students, is that I, I feel that as an actor, I am a doctor of humanity. And as a doctor of humanity, it is my responsibility to study the human condition. To become a doctor means to really be at the top, a master, a master of, of doing what I do, studying uh, behavior, studying um, the psychology behind what makes a person do A, B, and C. And so a lot of my work as, a, as an actor comes from approaching the work that way like the why what why would someone do this uh -huh. so I love that aspect of um the psych psychological aspect of acting but um sort of the the doctor of humanity title is a is a bit of a double entendre because I feel like um being a doctor of humanity means you also have the capacity to heal as a doctor would, um, the human condition, uh -huh. because the stories that we tell are, uh, or especially the ones that I like to participate in and, and like to tell are, are stories that can have the ability to, to change and, um, change the way people think and feel and act and believe and live. Uh -huh. And that's, that means that what I'm doing is more than just, it's more than just a hobby. It's more than just what I want to do because um, it feels good to hear the applause. Um, it's not about fame. It's not about recognition. I mean, those things come, you know, when you're really at the pinnacle of success. But the, the reason I do what I do is because it's a calling. Right. You know, and I feel like even if there's one person in the audience that is changed by the story that I'm telling, then that's what I'm meant to do. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm doing it. And um, uh, a world-renowned director, Patsy Rodberg, tells a story of, uh, of you know, directing a, 
a play called The Trojan Women, and um, it's a Greek tragedy, and not many people would put that on their bucket list of things to see. Mm -hmm. But um, there was a story that she told about a man that was so deeply moved by the by the story, um, and for those of you who know the story, there's a um, there's a character in there that loses her son, and she actually watches him be dropped to his death Ooh. from a from a high cliff in Greece, and um, it's you know she the child is ripped from her arms, and we watch that catharsis happen on on stage, yeah, and um, it's very tragic. But this man responded to the play by saying. Um, you know, my life has forever been changed by watching this performance because for the first time in 20 years, I've been able to cry for the death of my son. Oh, wow. And, um, and so she shares that story and talks about how that helps her. Uh, like, that's so affirming. You know, this is why I do what I do because I have the ability to change people's lives yeah you know for the better mm -hmm. and um and heal parts of them that that need healing and so i uh, just that type of inspiring story is is it's it's confirmation for me too because that's what i feel like i'm meant to do absolutely to tell stories that really affect others and 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 make them better people yeah definitely that's yeah. amazing do you have any um particular roles that you've played that you feel um, have really done that either for yourself or for other people? Oh, man. Um, you know, I've, I've got a couple of, of roles that I really that stand out in my time that I've, that I've played, um, you know, several in theater. Um, there was a, there was a, a couple of them were original roles. So it was really exciting for me to be able to breathe life into those roles for the very first time. Yeah. That's awesome. And, um, one of them was uh, a role. Um, her name was Kay Francis and it was in a play called lemons and um, was written by a very good friend of mine, Nikki Toombs, who is an Atlanta actress and director and writer. She's an incredible writer. Um, she works for Kenny Leon's true colors theater as their educational director. But um, she um, wrote Lemons, and it was about a story of uh, a safe house where all the women in the safe house were um, victims of domestic violence. Mm. And uh, Kay Francis was a character who, um, she was very bougie. She came from uh, a side of the tracks that you know a lot of the other women in there did not cross yeah and um you know she talks about her mercedes and all the things that were of value to her in her life and then in one of the sessions where they're talking about their own personal stories she shares her experience of being uh, a victim of mm -hmm. domestic violence and and um and the thing that was so beautiful about that story was in that moment that um, you know, the playing field was level. All those women, no matter what side of the tracks they came from, they were in that moment all the same. Yeah. And, um, and they, there was such a bond 
that was created. And, and the thing that was incredible for me was that I, I actually am a victim in real life domestic violence. And so it was, it was an incredible opportunity for me to embody that character and, um, and be able to tell that story. So, um, I, and I also have found in other roles that I've played that there's always something in my own life mm-hmm. that I'm working through as a catharsis through the storytelling process. And so there was a lot of really um, great stuff that happened for me in, in that story. I also, um, I also got a chance to work with some incredible actresses that um, have gone on to have, you know, amazing success. And it was just a, a wonderful experience. And, uh, and um, I would say that there have been a couple of other roles um, that I've been uh, fortunate to play. Um, but one recently um, that I did in a short film, um, it's not been released yet, but um, I will say, this is what I can say about it. Um, I, I, played the, I played the mother of a, um, a stripper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um basically it's the story of um me loving her through that uh, i was taking care of her daughter while she would go and dance uh every night and um and so it was it just a story of unconditional love That's and amazing. acceptance yeah and um loving people right where they are and um not and letting go of judgment and letting go of uh, of how you might want to change another person to make them okay. Sometimes the only way to do that is through love. Mm-hmm. And so these are the stories that I love to be. That's a part amazing. Of, you know? These are incredible opportunities. I mean, I would not love that. Right? Uh, yo, I would yeah. not love to be able to do that. That sounds amazing for sure. Yeah, definitely keep me updated on that. I will let yeah. everybody know when yeah, that comes out. Because that sounds awesome. So do you have a dream role that you have not been able to tackle yet? Um, you know, if I um if I talk about roles that I would love to do, it I have to reference, you know, obviously maybe some of the classic plays or some you know, or or even plays that have just gained notoriety, you know. I, I obviously I'm sure there's film roles out there that I would love to play but I don't even know that they've been created yet. Right. But um I would love to play some of these roles that are iconic. I mean, I have always wanted to play Lady Macbeth. Ooh yeah. Yeah. Um any any of those big juicy female roles from Shakespeare. Um, but I would also, you know, I would welcome um, any of the roles that uh, are in, for example, the play uh, August Osage County. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love to play maybe uh, one of the roles in Crabs at the Heart. Um, some of these like big, juicy, female, heavy casts. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I've been in um, I've been in Steel Magnolias twice as two different roles, but hey, there's two more roles in there that I want to play that I haven't played yet. That's so. amazing! Yes, hopefully you'll get that opportunity. That would be so cool. I know, I'd love to. Uh, so tell me more about um, your coaching and your teaching um, life. Um, uh-huh. What you mentioned? You do you work with Drama Inc. Um, uh-huh. Is there a particular way that you like to teach is there um a particular method or anything like that that you go on or 
what's your situation there? I, I teach a lot of different classes um, that, um, I mean, I get to teach a lot of classes at Drama Inc., but um, there's a lot of other things that I can teach other than what I teach at Drama Inc. Uh -huh. too. So what I teach there would be primarily the practical aesthetics method. Um, it's a technique that's very much application oriented and it kind of attaches to any of the other uh, techniques that are um, are out there. I mean, it's Meisner based, uh -huh. but I've got people that have studied all different techniques that use the application of practical aesthetics to their work because it was created by William H. Macy and David Mamet. And, um, at working professionals mm -hmm. who, um, the, for the purpose of when you are a working actor, you need to be able to get through this process of creating a role and getting there, so to speak, uh, quickly. Because, you know, you don't have a lot of time. The turnaround sometimes is less than 24 hours for an audition yeah. or for even a role. You know, if you're if you're working on a script and you're shooting a lot, you know, you're having to, to you're getting that script and shooting the next day. Yep. So um, how do you break it down? And so it's very text uh, script analysis based. And, mm -hmm. um, and I love that. I love getting into the, the text. Um, but I also am um, a movement coach. So I love helping people bring physicality to their roles. I feel like um, in acting, there are two different ways into the room, so to speak. You can either, uh, or into a role. You come from, you come from a role uh, from the inside out mm -hmm. or from the outside in. And so when you, when you work on the psychology and the text, a lot of that is from the inside out because you're starting, you know, in the mind yep. of, of what's making a person do the things that they do. When you approach a role physically from the outside in, you begin with the physicality that is exhibited when a person feels a certain way. And then you start that physicality and see what it erupts kinesthetically in your body. Uh -huh. And so the incredible thing, I mean, it doesn't always work that way for everyone. Right. But what is really awesome to see is when you've done the work from both ends and how they converge in the middle and make this magic happen. Because, you know, when you can layer on some physicality sometimes it will cause you to have an emotional reaction yep because you're doing it in your body yep and so um i love exploring that i love exploring that with people and um i love you know coaching people on monologues that's another class that i teach and that's um, something that I, sherry has helped me with extensively yeah, you've done some incredible work. <laughs> some severe monologue coaching. Really, really incredible work, though. Oh, what I what I saw happen when you created those three roles um, that you've worked on. So, um, it, just really fun too. I think what's so fun about monologue coaching is getting to find the arc of the story and and helping people. Like once you understand the arc of story. You can find it in everything you do. And yeah. it's, it's like teaching a person to fish instead of giving them fish to eat. Yep. You know? uh, I feel like now 
you know, once I help a person really be able to find that, they can go off and do that in their own work, you know? For sure. Oh, yeah. Completely agree. Like, like I said, you, um, you know, helped me so much with those monologues, but it wasn't just with that. It was like, like you said, finding the arc in the story. And that's literally what I think about. Like I get a, a small audition piece. And I'm like, okay, where's the arc here? Like, why did they choose this piece? You know what I mean? Or, or, you know, I have to do a monologue. I want to find something that has that arc, even if it, if I have to do the monologue in under a minute, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's yeah. such a huge breakthrough for me. Cause one of the things I remember you were always like, I love monologues. And I'm I always do. like, I hate monologues. <laughs> Let me tell you how much I love them. I will watch a TV show, and I if there is a good, juicy monologue, which I'm going to tell you this, television writers today are writing the most amazing monologues. I will get my phone, and I will get up there next to that TV, and I will rewind and videotape these monologues and I have so many monologues on my phone. <laughs> I love it. Because I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, one day I might coach somebody that needs a monologue and this is perfect. It's got a beautiful arc and I yep. mean, there's some really good juicy monologues out there. So, um, yeah, I, I watched a series recently. I think I've probably, it's the first season of the show. What is it? Um, Ratchet. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. It's on my list uh, though. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Sarah Paulson. Amazing. She is so, uh, unbelievable. She's, a she's yeah. incredible. I watched her on um, uh, Coastal Elites on HBO. She like mm-hmm. blew it out of the water. Anyway, sorry. Well, <laughs> she's amazing. Sharon Stone is in that uh, series. She's amazing. That's There's awesome. There's so many co-stars. Amazing. And they've all got monologues. And so I think I've already taped like six Half monologues the show. in the first season. <laughs> It's great. I can't That's... wait for the second season. I, I'm like, oh, but I'm actually rewatching it the first season because it's so good. That's awesome. Yeah, I will definitely really be checking good. that out. Definitely be checking yeah, check that it out. You should. Um, have you seen Normal People on no. Hulu? That one they've got a lot of like kind of shorter monologues, but it's like these two people who are like they grow close and kind of you know in and out of weaving in and out of each other's lives, kind of a thing. And they have normal people. Yeah. And they have these, you know, moments where, first of all, they have this like massive tight frame on the actor. So, you know, that they have to be good. And then they deliver these, you know, extremely just perfect monologues. And I'm just like, wow, ah, it's just it's, it's amazing. I think you would love that one. And, and I think when you study monologues, too, when you do, when you do take a class or or get coached in monologues you begin to notice and appreciate that kind of storytelling because it is not easy oh no and that's why a lot of people are intimidated by it yes (laughs) you know they are but once you learn the skills of being able to tell a story with an arc it is it it actually is challenging and fun yeah, I've definitely then, learned then to appreciate only- them a lot more. Tell me more about your creative process when it comes to getting other people, like in your teaching and coaching. Like, how do you pull things out of of your students? Okay, so 
I think the very first place to start is just through like a real conversational discussion about like, well, what do you think about this? And how do you feel when you hear this story and talk, thinking about this character? And we, you know, I think, and you've experienced this too. I think the more we can just explore and talk about like the backstory, create mm-hmm. a backstory. If it's not in the script, Let's make it up. Yep. And then when you are spending that time getting to know the character, you feel more empowered to conquer the script and, and to deal then with what you have been given. Because so many of us have not been given much when it comes to the things that we audition for. Yep. But that doesn't mean that we can't really just make it all up. I mean, that's that's the creative license that we have, you know, as um storytellers yeah we get to make up our own exposition you know and um and when you do that and when you take the time to do that it makes you personally more connected to the story that you're telling and and then there's some opportunity for some real um personal layers to happen there and and when you can bring your own authentic self to a role then you are doing something different than anybody else because no one else is like you. Mm-hmm. But when you kind of create a story based on what maybe you think, um, oh, well, this casting director is going to be looking for this. And then, I mean, I think of it like this. If you if you approach it that, that way, then everybody else approaches it that way, then everybody else is going to come back with the same exact um, way of doing it, right? You know? It's going to be like the it, same video over and over again. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like a million different versions of you know um, the slutty schoolgirl, <laughs> you know. But if you come up with um, your own story into this, you know, story about the girl who you know was abandoned, you know, by her. Um, father at a young age and you know now she's got all kinds of daddy issues and all she really wants to do is um have true love and now she's got you know a mom that keeps bringing in all of her boyfriends and you know you can you can come up with a story that is so much more grounded than playing a caricature that doesn't have any roots and the goal in storytelling is not just uh, finding the roots, but finding the thing that connects you yep. to the roots. Yep. I love finding that you bring access. this up because very recently a casting director on social media was saying, um, you know, we watched a bunch of tapes and there were only two that were different than the other ones. Literally every single person, like they watched the same tape over and over with a different face over and over and over and over. And, and that's because they're, you know, and these casting directors could tell, Oh, you know, this person's trying to deliver what they think I want. Yes. And they, and that happened over and over and over again. And then there were two tapes where it was like, clearly this, that those people brought themselves into the role and it was like magic. Yes. Yes. And I don't know if there's been like a recent movement or if this is something that, you know, 
Stanislavski told his people, you know, the grandfather of, of, of acting. Um, but the, the movement that I'm seeing in a lot of coaching today is you are enough. And I love that. You're enough. You do mm-hmm. not have to be Meryl Streep. You do not have to be, um, you know, anyone other than who you are. Bring your authentic, true self. And it is it is plenty enough to play any role. Mm-hmm. And it's more, more interesting that way. Absolutely. So that's, that's, that's freeing because as much as I would like to be, I am not Meryl Streep. I know we can all dream. (laughs) (laughs) We can all dream. She's amazing. I do love her. All right. Now for the fun stuff. What Sherry is your biggest fear? Okay. Oh, wow. I, you know, There are so many, aren't there? But um, after watching American Horror Story the other night, it's now clowns. But, um, I will that one has always been my biggest fear. Always, always, always. I'm telling you, that was some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, but I would say that I definitely, um, not to get deep or anything, but um, probably one of two. Okay. One of two biggest fears one of them would be to die alone <laughs> okay that's fair i want to do it i want i want somebody to hold my hand through the whole process and so i think that's one of the things that i think about like what if i'm all by myself and i don't have my kids there or the people that i love and i can't tell them goodbye and um that's that's terrifying to me is that coming up a lot more now especially because of what's going on with covid and like hearing all these horrible stories about people having to say goodbye to their parents on the phone and yes oh my gosh oh i don't want to do it i don't want to do it so please god don't make me do that um the other thing that i think is probably even more um more I guess I, I, I don't know that I, it's hard for me to put into words, but the best that I can do is to say, if I was to live a life that did not make a difference, okay, that would be uh, one of my biggest fears, like to, at the end of it all, to feel like there was nothing important that mm-hmm. I did. And, um, or that to feel that it was futile uh-huh. or, or like and, you didn't um, make an impact somewhere. Yeah. 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 And that, like, you know, that, that whole thing of like, what are the, what are we on our grave stuff? Um, she lived. <laughs> that would be terrible. Be terrible. Uh, because I really want to make a difference. I want to help make a difference in people's lives and people's, um, and the way they, they think and they feel and, mm-hmm. and believe and, and just, you know, make an impact somehow. And, um, and I guess that's, that's sort of, that's what we all as artists really do want because mm-hmm. otherwise we become accountants <laughs> and then that still makes a difference. I mean, that's still important, you know, Super accountants important. matter. Yes, they do. My accountant um, matters. They, manage people's money and that's important but you know what i'm saying no i definitely know what you're saying but that's probably that's probably it i would say um as the the thought that i've given to that i'm thinking oh how tragic 
that would be mm-hmm. to to live a life and and to have not made it made a difference so hopefully that sphere will never be realized so do you as you're you know sitting here we actually had a conversation earlier about how you you know went back to school because you wanted to make more of an impact and you teach because you want to make an impact um and so do you feel like you're you're living that life already or do you feel like you're still coming up short um that's a good question um i guess um i feel i do feel i do feel that i am making an impact and i i would say that um you know i recently my job uh at the university was um my faculty line was cut and Mm -hmm. because of the low enrollment due to our uh, beloved covid and um and so it's been tough for me to not have that uh, relationship with those students that I've, you know, been working with for for some of them for years. Um, but I had a recent conversation with one of them, <laughs> and this is kind of goofy, but it, you know, it does kind of stroke my ego a little bit. Uh-huh. If I'm not being honest, they said that they walked past my my room and they all there was four of them. She said, and we all just pressed our face up against your door. Oh, and one of them. She she said one of them said, "I think we all just need to sit here for a minute." <laughs> That's precious. Yeah, I mean, it really is precious. I mean, I've directed these kids in in shows, and I've I've taught them in class. So, um, and so for me, feeling all sorry for myself because I'm not there, um, I felt so. Um, I feel sad for them, you know, that I'm not there because you know all those afternoons that they'd come and have coffee in my office, you know, yep. and talk through the the problems of life. You know, I was there for them as a mentor, but I I was I think I a part of what I did as their mentor was help them um, move in the direction of their dreams. Yep. And, uh, and so they know that they can pick up the phone and call me and they can, you know, text me or whatever. I'm always going to be there for them. But um, having that ability to have a daily impact on, on people is so rewarding. And it's also, um, you know, to hear them say, we miss you, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we valued your, your participation in our life. Um, that is, that is rewarding. And I do feel that just with that one little example that I'm yeah. making an impact. Yeah. It's you know? very clear that you've made an impact on their lives and they'll probably carry that with them for a very long time. Um, yeah. which is awesome. Uh, so yeah. do you, like when you think about like wanting to make a difference and, and having an impact, do you use this fear as like a motivator in your everyday life or does it kind of debilitate you or a little bit of like a combination? Well, I, I think I, I use it 100% because that is sometimes the reason I get out of bed. Yep. You know, when, um, when you do have, the challenges of quarantine (laughs) or whatever, you know, is going on in the world. And you think, Oh, I don't know that we're going to survive this. I don't know. I'm kind of nervous about November. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then you, then you have to dig deep and think, yeah, but um, my vote matters. Mm -hmm. My, um, 
my contribution in life matters, even if it's just to one. And so we have to do that self-talk and get ourselves, um, get ourselves out of the pit of yep. hopelessness sometimes and really just say there is always hope. And as, as a director, I also approach the work as I do as, as a director with how can I tell the story that will leave an audience with hope? Because to me, if they've come and spent two hours of their life and they leave wanting to just end it all, right. then that's, I haven't done my job. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but if, I mean, and, and there's ways of, of, of bringing hope through tragedy also. Yeah. Um, I'm really big on director's notes because if I'm telling a tragic story, I'm like, you guys got to read the director's notes (laughs) because I'm always trying to put a spin in there about how we can take this message and use it to, to be a catalyst for changing our own lives. Uh You know, how can we, how can we learn from this big fat mistake that we just saw, you know? Yeah. And so, um, so I guess I'll always be a teacher, Yeah. you know, even, as a, I mean, that's, as an actor, I'm a teacher. As a director, I'm a teacher. I mean, there's didacticism in, in everything that I do because I feel like that's the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, that's the purpose for me, at least. Yeah. Have you always felt that way? Like, oops, I'm falling. Have you always felt that way? Like, um, like wanting to have this purposeful, impactful life or like, did you kind of, did you, do you feel like you came into it as you've been moving along in this career and in this um, path? You know what? I will say this. When I felt myself growing in a spiritual way, that is when it, that particular aspect of my personality grew. Okay. Like I did not always probably feel moved to make that type of impact. And, and but when I felt like, when I became aware that there is more than to this life than myself and there's more to this life than what we see, then that, that ignited something in me that as sort of a driving force for the greater good, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Like there's, there's more than fame and fortune and, um, you know, I mean, I, I probably have been, you know, the world's biggest hedonist as well at <laughs> times in my life, you know, pleasure seeking uh, on all fronts. But there is also a, um, I don't know, there's there's just more. I've, I've realized as I've gotten older, there's more to life. Uh-huh. And so I guess that purpose driven life has developed as well. I think there's a book out there called that. The purpose purpose of there I is, really isn't there? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I uh, do not, I'm not referencing that book, but you know, yeah. uh, that is kind of what I do feel that my life is purpose driven. So That's awesome. Um, so, and, and now as you talk about this, um, you know, purpose driven life in terms of a fear of not making an impact, do you like, do you discuss this with other people or is this something that you've really just kept to yourself? Um, and if so, why? I do think it comes up in my teaching. 
because uh-huh. I think that um, when before I teach any class, I um, I kind of share a little bit like what I what I shared today um, about my alarm clock moment, and I have everyone go around and share their alarm clock moment, oh, wow. and I say, what was it that turned on this passion? in your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so many of them, I love hearing these stories. You know, a, a lot of them actually talk about how they had these things happen to them in their early life. And then they never followed through and they've come back to their passions in uh, later years. And so when that happens, I, I recognize that as being sort of a calling, uh-huh. you know, you can't run away from a calling. Yep. And so as we begin to open up that discussion, um, I begin to talk about what is it that you want to do with your calling. And, and when you can target your reason for doing this career as being purposeful, there is way more longevity in it for you. Mm-hmm. And you can keep going because you know that there's a calling and a purpose and it's not just you know for the purpose of like oh well if i book a role then people will recognize me and i'll be able to put an imdb credit on my butt who cares right you know um it's there's a lot more to it you know and so um when people feel it's like a commitment you know like when you commit yourself to it it's a marriage you're in it for the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, right. there's all kinds of metaphors out there. Um, but when when you when when you can wrap your mind around the fact that this is about purpose, um, then it, you you can make it a lot further down the road. And so I do bring that up in my teaching because I feel like it it's kind of the reason I teach, yep. and it's the reason why I what I feel I can say to other people to help them find their own purpose. That's amazing. I love Thank it. Because you. you're amazing. <laughs> you're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sherry, thank you so much for sitting and talking with me. Um, is there any other don't have a word that I'm any other words words that you want to have come out of your mouth? <laughs> Um, you know, there's always words that want to come out of my mouth, Virginia. (laughs) I would say, um, gosh, if I could say one thing just to kind of leave the, the air here for full of hope is that, um, I, I just feel like we as a people and particularly as artists are, are, we're light bearers. We bring the light mm-hmm. and whether it illuminates the darkness or whether it illuminates an even brighter light, I think we have to know that we are meant to, um, do that for the sake of truth. And as storytellers, we, we have to, you know, we have to tell the truth. There's so much out there that's not truth. And so um, as you begin to, whenever you grow weary in the, the process, just remember that, that that truth has to get out. 
And sometimes it, the only way to get it out is through story. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't lose hope and, and always uh, keep the light, keep the light coming. That's beautiful. Um, sure. Sherry, do you have any um, social media um, handles or websites or anything like that you'd like to share so people um, can get into contact? It's really hard to find me. You just put in Sherry B. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's just that's, you know, Sherry, S H E R R I E, Peterson, S O N. And there I am. Okay, that's cool. That's me on Twitter. That's me on. Instagram, on Facebook, and soon to be a website that yours truly will uh, be building. So, yep. So, awesome. Cool. So, I'll link all of that in the show notes so everybody can find you and um, have you coach them because you do such an amazing job. I look forward to it. And I look forward to meeting all kinds of new people that are awesome. Yay. Well, Sherry, thank you so, so much. This was awesome. You're so welcome, Virginia. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Sherry's fear of not making an impact clearly drives her to continue inspiring others as much as possible. She has an amazing way of helping actors find their voice while also being a shining talent herself. I love that she did not hold back in this interview and gave so much of her knowledge and tips freely. Seriously, go back and re-listen to this interview, this time with a pen and notebook. Seriously. (laughs) Find Sherry on Twitter and Instagram at Sherry Peterson. I'll link her social media in the show notes as well as her classes at Drama Inc. Reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore Scarlet P. I'd love to hear what your favorite part of this interview was. I'm Virginia. Thanks for listening to Fears of a No Name Blank.